Good morning, everybody. Really glad you're here. Thanks for already getting up a little earlier and joining us and being part of worship this morning. Hello to everybody at River Tree South. I want you to turn in your Bible to Mark chapter 3 as we pick up in our Gospel of Mark as we're moving through this series. Uh, verse 13 is where we're going to start this morning. And we'll read through this section of Scripture uh, and then uh, kind of highlight a couple things that we talked about last week and then move into what we're seeing Jesus do here in Mark chapter 13. It says in Uh, It says, Jesus went up on the mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. And he appointed 12 that they might be with him, that he might send them out to preach and have authority and to drive out demons. These are the 12 that he appointed, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, son of Zebedee and his brother John. To them, he gave the name Boanerges, which means sons of thunder, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Last week, we, we offered out this question, and we began to talk about this idea of what if Jesus did things for himself? What if there were things that Jesus did that we see recorded in the Gospels that were not just things that Jesus was doing to kind of model for us what it is to be a good Christian, and not just to give us an example, but what if Jesus actually did things in the scriptures that we see were for, for him, things that, that he needed? And the example that we looked at last week was these moments throughout the gospel where we see Jesus pulling away, spending time alone with the Father, praying, moving into isolation, retreating. Throughout the Gospels, you see Jesus kind of moving in and out of ministry. Uh, He's in the middle of people. Uh, He's uh, dealing with confrontations. And then Jesus retreats. He pulls back. And we see Jesus kind of moving in and out, not always working, not always performing, but kind of moving in, pulling in and out. I, I have this idea, this picture, if you will, of just kind of taking a glass and scooping up river water. And if you were to do that and look in the glass, you would see all kinds of things kind of moving and swirling about. But if you, if you held the glass still for just a moment, over a few seconds, things would begin to settle. Uh, the water would, be, would become more clear. I think that's what Jesus is doing often as he begins to minister. And we see what Jesus is doing around the chaos, the confusion, the multitudes, the miracles. And then there's these moments where Jesus pulls back and he allows certain things to settle. He allows certain things to become more clear. Many people believe that it was these moments of solitude and retreat and prayer that became kind of the, the source or the secret of Jesus' compassion and his power and his, his discernment as to what God was doing, as to what was next. And you'll often see Jesus coming out of a miracle, pulling back, or just before a big decision, just before kind of a moment where things are going to get really challenging, he, he retreats. He withdraws. And so what if Jesus is doing more in these moments of retreating and prayer and solitude than just showing us maybe uh, about prayer, but maybe showing what he needed, that he actually needed time with the Father, 
He needed that for his own kind of spiritual, emotional vitality and health. And in order for Jesus to be healthy, to really help others, there had to be this kind of movement within his own life of of engagement and then disengagement, of work and rest, kind of being with the people and then then retreating and pulling back. And so we talked about that for, for your life as well. What would it look like for you not to always have to be on? Always producing always accomplishing, always going after the next thing. But what if God has actually designed your life to function best, to be healthy, to, for its own wellness, your wholeness, to function in this kind of a new rhythm, a new design that God has for you, where it's time away, it, it's retreats, it's, it's isolation, it's quiet, that, that you've been invited to pull back, invited to be with the Father, as much as you need that, that the Father delights, delights in the time that you would step out of what you feel like needs to be done about how we might even believe or be tempted to think that the next thing that we do is so critical, so important, it kind of holds the world together that you lay all those things at the Father's feet and you pull back and you just relate, you just be with him and allow the Father to pour into you. What if Jesus is showing us things that he needed for himself? I want to show you another example of that. I think what you're going to see in the calling of the disciples is something else that's in this passage that I want to show you this morning that Jesus did for for himself. You know, when I I think about Jesus calling the disciples, I often think about the disciples as a a, a JV basketball team, right? They're, They're not quite varsity, Right? We, we understand that. They, they, they weren't quite good enough, but Jesus is their coach, and he, he kind of gathers them, and he, he, he kind of trains them up. He coaches them. He kind of speaks into their life. He kind of begins to point certain things out to them, things that they can do better to get more involved in the ministry, and they love him as a coach. And, and you see that, that he is doing that, right? He is going to send them out. They're going to preach and teach with authority that the ministry is going to go forward, that Jesus is kind of positioning and preparing a small group of followers so that when he leaves, they will continue his work. They will continue the ministry. But what if, what if the calling of the disciples is not just strategic delegation? What if there's something more? that Jesus is doing in this moment is he, is he calls these 12 close to himself. Let me show you in Mark chapter three, verse 13. We've already read this verse, but let me read it to you in the English standard version. It says this, and Jesus went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired and they came to him. Jesus called those he desired other translations, those that he wanted to be with. Think about that for a moment. More than just Jesus trying to get things done, more than Jesus picking out 12 and giving them authority to go and get more work accomplished, that Jesus picked a few that he wanted, wanted to be with. You know, a spiritual practice is something that... Um, It's a way in which you become or remain open to the work and to the ongoing work of God in your life. A spiritual practice, again, is something that you do that helps you kind of become or or remain open to the work of God. And perhaps one of the most overlooked disciplines within our life 
more than um, reading the Bible or prayer or service or sharing your faith or even fasting. But one of the most overlooked disciplines and spiritual practices within our life is friendship. The development of spiritual friendship, the discipline of friendship. Social networking, uh, our lives have been impacted by it for uh, really probably about two decades. There's been this ongoing experience of you and social networking of being able to kind of keep up with people, uh, old classmates that you haven't seen, uh, friends that you've kind of grown out of touch and so that you can get updates on uh, who just had a baby or what they had for breakfast. Uh, you can get, um, uh, you know, kind of moment by moment, um, uh, kind of real time interactions with people, especially if they've been listening to Fox News all last night. Like you're gonna hear that. Like there's all of these kind of moments that you're gonna get with people through social networking. It's an amazing thing, but I, my, my concern is, and probably you feel this too, is that even though you can look over at the left-hand column and see that you've got over a thousand friends and you can get another friend by just the click of a mouse or even unfriend somebody just that quickly, right? That, that, that social networking hasn't replaced the need for our own soul for kind of the depth of relationship with a few. And if you go back, uh, actually social networking and technology has been cited for many, many years as uh, perhaps um, uh, a challenge in creating obstacles to real friendship. Since 2006, one out of every four Americans says they, pro they feel a profound sense of loneliness. Since 2006, one out of every four adults has this sense, this ongoing sense of isolation in a place where we are more connected than we've ever been before, right? And that number, 25% of Americans feeling some sense of loneliness, some sense of isolation, is twice as much as we used to feel 20 years prior. So as society is moving forward, as technology is getting better, as we're being more connected, we're actually creating a culture in which we feel more alone, more isolated, more deprived, more without friends than we ever have before. And you see that this is happening out of all the access that you might have to one another, the sheer number of people that you can interact with in a day, that you can follow, that you can message, that you can Snapchat, that you can take a picture of yourself and send it to them, right? Out of the sheer numeric uh, number of people that you can have access to actually, I think, shrinks down the capacity you have to go deep with a few. We just spread ourselves so thin that it doesn't actually do the work that we need within our, our own soul, our own relational and emotional vitality. Friendship, friendship is highlighted throughout the scriptures. And one of those friendships that we see, if you go back in the Old Testament, is this interaction between David and Jonathan. And as David is experiencing incredible hardships and difficulties dealing with Saul, Jonathan's dad. There's this relationship that begins to kind of emerge between David and Jonathan. And Jonathan becomes this steadfast companion, this ongoing encourager of David. And it's in this moment where Jonathan passes away, where Jonathan dies, that David says this in 2 Samuel chapter 1, verse 26. In the message version, so what I want you to say is, Oh, my dear brother Jonathan, I am crushed by your death. Your friendship was a miracle wonder. Love far exceeding anything I've known or ever hoped to know. A miracle wonder. You know, the friendships get formed out of all kinds of kind of uh, causes, right? Work together, 
uh, go to school together, study together, exercise together. There's all kinds of things that kind of orient people to one another, kind of, you know, kind of shrink that proximity and you begin to share life and friendships begin to, sometimes crisis develops friendships where you're going through something that somebody else has also experienced and there's a meal that's shared and Something begins to happen that begins to bond people together. But when the Bible begins to talk about friendship and the importance it places on friendship, let me show you a verse in Proverbs chapter 27, verse 9, that again gives us this weightiness significance of friendship. Message version again says this, just as lotions and fragrance give sensual delight, a sweet friendship refreshes the soul. I don't use lotion very much, I'll tell you, but... There is something, right? There's something in that. Feel a little uncomfortable about that, that verse. But you get this idea, like there's something about friendship that the Bible says it, it like refreshes your soul. Like it does something deep within you. Something that we would need. Like who doesn't need their soul to be refreshed? And you get the sense the Bible begins to offer these things out. I just want you to consider for a moment that, a, that there are things that we see through Jesus' life as he begins to move in his life and ministry recorded through the gospel. I, I wonder if we would put some of those things within the context of friendship. For example, when Jesus says, pray with me. When Jesus asked the disciples, so what is everybody else saying? Who do, who do they think I am? That when Jesus needs to get away and he goes up on the mountainside and he takes Peter, James, and John with him, come, come with me. That what if you see Jesus without, within the ministry of all these things that he's doing, all these things that he's modeling, all these great examples that he's giving for us of how to live the Christian life, that one of the things that he is doing as well is modeling for us friendship. And the choosing of the 12 was picking a few that he wanted to be with, that he desired, because he needed that. He didn't just need private isolation, retreats, and withdrawal with the Father, but he also needed a few, a few that he could also go deep with, a few that he could share himself with, a few that he could talk to. And we see that Jesus taught publicly, right? He, he gave his teachings to the crowd, but some of his best teachings, some of his best secrets were given to the disciples because, because they could handle it, because they could handle him. John 15, 15 says this, I no longer call you servants, he says to the disciples, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends, for everything I learned from the Father, I have made known to you. See, servants have a, servants has a list of responsibilities that they need to accomplish certain tasks uh, because of their duty to the master. And so servants are given kind of a, 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 a given information on a need to know basis. They, they get so much information so that they can accomplish their responsibility, their task. But Jesus is saying something really significant and profound here. Jesus is saying that the role of servants no longer fits or lays over on top of, it doesn't fit anymore well, this relationship that we now have. That what was kind of in this, 
time of information and need to know, like it's become something so much more. Jesus, what I've learned, I have passed on to you and I now call you friends. Realize this, discipleship moves towards friendship. That in all of the information that we are accessing and downloading from God's word and from Christ's life and all the information that we're gathering and all of what we see, the knowledge that God, of God's will and God's work, of all that we begin to see as we become students, disciples, that kind of experience with Jesus, that ongoing life with Jesus moves from being a student, a learner, to a friend. I guess I want you to, I want you to have a picture of where your life is headed. That your life is moving from a servant to a friend of God. Your life is moving from just receiving more information to something that you're becoming. Not just what you're doing, but somebody that you are to God. Jesus uses this word friend, uh, a similar word to the word, to the Greek word phileo, which means friend with affection. And so when Jesus calls them friends, he's, he's saying something about, he, he's uh, sentiment, something about endearment, attachment. Jesus is revealing something in this statement about his heart for the disciples, who they are to him. And Jesus' words challenge us in this way, not in what the disciples have learned, but who they now are becoming. From students to friends. When Jesus says, everything I have learned from the Father, I have passed on to you, what Jesus is telling us is it's about self-disclosure. The deep friends begin to reveal things. True community, rich community, is more than you and I gathering together to study God's word. It's more than you and I praying together. It's more than you and I sharing a, a common leader. But, but true community, depth of friendship is created by time and proximity and trust. And what you see Jesus saying is it's disclosure. It's you and I moving into a relationship. And, and what disclosure means is, is you and I begin to share things with one another to create friendships that refresh the soul. And how we do that is we share things that are hidden. In other words, we begin to exchange information about our lives and about our experiences that you would never know unless I told you. We do more than just talk about the weekend's football scores or what we heard on the news last night, but we begin to share things that no one else would know. You wouldn't know this unless I told you. And that becomes this moment of disclosure, what you wouldn't know unless I shared. A lot of times we think that friendship is formed by talking a lot, right? If we just keep talking Right, we'll eventually get closer. And so if there's just lots of information being shared, lots of ideas, lots of thoughts. But have you ever noticed that sometimes that you can hear somebody talk a lot, but at the end of that, they didn't really say much? Right, they, they didn't really get below the surface. They didn't really tell you anything that you didn't already know or couldn't have guessed yourself. And this becomes this idea of how do we begin to form friendship? Jesus shared everything. He says, everything that I have learned, everything that I've received from the Father, I've passed on to you. You can imagine how amazing it would have been to be a disciple hanging out with Jesus, right? How much they would have loved being with him. How much, you know, Jesus would have been great at kind of, kind of knowing what they were thinking before they said it or maybe asking really good probing questions or Jesus was just the best at picking out where to eat dinner that night. It was always great. But there was something we see with Jesus in this is that he didn't hold anything back. He shared it all. 
He shared it all with these guys. And there began to be something that began to form within them where Jesus says, I don't even, I don't call you servants anymore. Like that doesn't fit in the context of our relationship. He didn't hold anything back. And friendship that refreshes the soul is one of uh, self-disclosure. It's also one of vulnerability. Finding somebody else in which you begin to go deep in is somebody else that you begin to match vulnerability. There's a, a reciprocation in the relationship Both of you are kind of going deep. Both of you are beginning to share things that are hidden. Both of you are beginning to talk about things that you wouldn't normally talk about. It's kind of a go there friend, right? When something really needs to be talked about, when something difficult needs to be shared, you can go there with this person. You can't go there with everybody else because when you go there, when you begin to share deep things, hidden things, secret things, you create a a gift, There's something that's exchanged in that moment. You create a a sacred space to really know someone and to be known. And you cannot do that with everyone, but you need to do that with a few. You need to have that place with a few. Friends that refresh the soul are friends that energize you. Right? You spend time with them and you don't leave there depleted. You leave more full than you started. And these kinds of friends could be people that you have just a lot of common commonality with, a lot of shared interests. There's a season of life that you're in, a lot of shared experiences, but they could be very different than you. Older, younger, you know, personalities, you know, very opposite, very different. But there's something about how you feel, the energy, your vitality. When you leave them, you feel more alive. You feel, you feel more energized And it's this idea of the spiritual vitality as you share stories, concerns, mess-ups. Friends that refresh your soul, they they draw you closer to others. I want to say this too. This may be important for kind of those younger in audience, in the audience. Friends that you need that refresh your souls will never isolate you from other people. They will always nudge you towards resolving conflict. They will always nudge you towards restoring relationships. They will always strengthen, help strengthen your relationship with other people. And friends that refresh your soul, as the Proverbs say, are, are people who help, um, help restore your relationship with yourself. And what I mean by that is we just have limited perspective. You don't know everything. And so... Because you have a limited perspective, even as you approach your own life and who you are and what's happening inside of you, friends help with that because there's good and there's bad and there's light and there's dark and there's all kinds of things happening with you. And sometimes when you get stuck and sometimes when you're dealing with barriers, a friend, a good friend that refreshes your soul will see the things that need to happen in your life sometimes better than you will. It can encourage you into that. It can help you walk into that. It can walk alongside with you in those moments a good friend will see what God is forming within you and champion that and advocate for that. I'll also add this. A soul friendship or a friend that refreshes your soul understands your dependency upon God. In other words, this friend doesn't think they're the answer to your problems. Their next advice, their next idea, what they know most is that you need to encounter Christ 
that you need to experience the Lord. And they will, they will walk you to that. They will gently direct you back to what you most need. And that's this connection, the spiritual vitality with the Father. More than their next answer. I'll show you this. I love this experience that we see uh, of Job's friends. When Job is going through his hardship, when he is dealing with all kinds of suffering and trials, there's this picture that we get in Job chapter 2 of some friends coming and being with Job. It says this in verse 11, three of Job's friends heard of the trouble that had fallen on him. Each traveled from his own country, Eliphaz from Temain, Bilbo from the Shire, Zophar from Namath, and they went together to Job, to keep him company and comfort him. And when they first caught sight of him, they couldn't believe what they saw. They hardly recognized Job. They cried out and lament, ripped their robes, dumped dirt on their heads as a sign of their grief, and then they sat with him on the ground. Seven days and nights, they sat there without saying a word. They could see how rotten he felt, how deeply he was suffering. Seven days and nights? They didn't say a word. And I think what we have to remember is the friendships that truly deepen, the friendships that begin to refresh our soul are not necessarily those friends that think they have the right Bible verse for your ailment. That if they could just say this, if they could just give you this scripture, then everything would be okay. Sometimes that's like putting a Band-Aid on a cut. And what I think was happening with Job's friends and what you may have experienced in your own life, it's the people that sit with you. It's the people that linger. It's the people who stay a little bit longer so that they get to the source of what the issue is. And the source is always messier. The source is always more complicated. And to have somebody be with you in the mess, tear their clothes, to put dirt on their head, and just to sit with you for seven days, there's something that you're seeing expressed in what it looks like to be with somebody, to go deep with somebody, to have somebody who refreshes your soul in this way. Listen, being friends with one another is not helping each other act rightly. It's seeing people healed and whole. It's a, it's a more complicated and ongoing process. Matthew 18, verse 20. For where two or three are gathered in my name, Jesus said, I am among them. Jesus said, where two or three are gathered, I'm in their midst. So there's something that Christians share when they meet together, when they encourage one another, when they confess with one another. It says there's something, when they open up their hearts, they are opening up with Jesus. Now, this is fantastic because Jesus says that he dwells in the friendship of believers. So when two or three are gathered, two or three believers, two or three Christians are gathered, and they begin to share life with one another, they get to share Jesus too. 
Jesus is in there. Jesus is in the midst. And this makes all those other passages throughout the scriptures, you know, over 50 different times, there are these one another passages about bearing one another's burdens, forgiving one another, confessing your sins to one another, uh, encouraging one another. And all these one another passages kind of set up for us an opportunity that as we relate, as we walk alongside one another, we also deeply experience Jesus in the middle of those relationships. Those kinds of friends that refresh our soul help us encounter Christ, deepen our walk and our faith and our encouragement in him. Sharing Jesus in this way deepens our friendship and and our companionship. That word companionship, I read this this past week. I just love this. Companion uh, comes, um, the, the French word for companion means this. It means with bread. And the idea is if you look through the etymology of this word, it means messmate. You know, the, the mess hall where you would go and eat, but mess mate, which has all kinds of meanings, I think. But the idea between companionship is this idea that there are two people, both hungry, both sharing a meal together, experiencing affirmation, experiencing acceptance alongside one another, both needy, but both being fed. And I love that, messmates. You have a messmate. Somebody that knows you, somebody that you're going deep with, somebody that is that kind of soul friendship. Eugene Peterson writes this, friendship is as much underestimated aspect, is a much underestimated aspect of spirituality. It is every bit as significant as prayer and fasting. Like the sacramental use of water and bread and wine, friendship takes what is common in human experience and turns it into something holy. Here's what he's saying. As important as your reading God's word is this week, as important as your acts of service are, as important as your times of prayer this week, who are you going to lunch with this week? Do you think about your own spiritual vitality in that way? Who are you going to spend an extra hour or two in conversation, in disclosure, in vulnerability, Who are you going to let know you? What other believer are you going to share Jesus with this week as you relate and as you connect? If you begin to think about all of those spiritual disciplines, all those things that we feel like are good things for Christians to do, do you put friendship on the list? Is there something that you're moving within your life towards intentionality and purpose, towards cultivating deep relationships in which you are a refreshment to someone else's soul? And this morning, we're going to approach the Lord's table here in a few minutes and begin to think through what Christ's sacrifice and the breaking of his body and the the pouring out of his blood is meant for us. Let me tell you what Jesus said as he was approaching this meal with his own friends. In Luke chapter 22, verse 14, it says, and when the hour came, Jesus reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Think about this moment for a minute. Jesus and his disciples stretched out, reclining at this evening meal, this meal deep and rich with history of God working redemptively for his people, God freeing his people, God saving his people. And here you see Jesus and the disciples resting, resting, resting on one another. You know, the, John's laying his head on Jesus. 
there's this familiarity, there's this closeness that they are experiencing within this meal. And Jesus says, I have longed to do this meal with you. I've longed to share this. Listen, I, I've been waiting for this moment where we could pull back from the crowd, where we could be just together, where I could tell you everything that God is about to do and how much you mean to me. They're laying around this table, lounging, eating, sharing. And during this evening, Jesus tells them this. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. As Jesus shares this, he, he shares the ultimate expression of friendship. That Jesus would actually share his life to the point of death. That Jesus would actually go to meet this need that the disciples had at the expense of himself. That Jesus would be and live and posture himself in such a way that as he takes on the cross, Jesus would secure their friendship forever. By this sacrifice, by this way of service, by this posture that he would take. Listen, there's, there's no unfriending here. That those who would receive him, that those that would believe in his name, they would become eternal friends. And Jesus reveals to us that there's more than just performing the next Christian task, but for us, there's fellowship, there's meals, there's reclining, there's knowing, becoming friends, real friends of God. Listen to that group that he started. We could go back through that list. That was a curious group that Jesus decided to gather around him, 12, that he would pour his life into and that they would sustain him at times, that they would encourage him at times. And it reminds me of this. If Jesus would pick that group, then he would pick you too. He would pick me. If Jesus would pick that group to begin to invest his life in, then what he begins to show us is his work on the cross opens up this community of knowing Christ and knowing one another so that your life, listen, do you know that your Christian life was meant for friendship? Deep community with God and with others. That God's intentionally doing things in your life right now so that you do not live with this deep sense of isolation, separation. That to be in Christ means that there's a new relationship that's been opened up to you to be a friend of God. And in doing so, a friend of one another. That Jesus is accomplishing this. He's done this on the cross. And I wonder if you've ever thought about your life, about being a Christian, about living for the glory of God, that there would be deep relationships that you would minister in and out of, that would be an encouragement for you, that you would also encourage, that your life is deeply relational, and that's how God wired you. And if you are a Christian, he desires for you to have friendships that would refresh your soul. This is planned for you. That's what he wants for your life. That Jesus, the truest friend, gives all that he has so that you and I might have life here and now eternal. Deep, rich, abundant life, not just with God, but with one another too. So this morning, as you take a few moments, as we begin to wrap up the service, just pray and reflect on what Christ is extending to us. As he talked about just 
his desire last week to get away, to steal away with God, to retreat with the Father, what would it look like for you to begin to think of your life now in the context of friendship with God and with others? Let's pray. I want to invite you into this picture of Jesus preparing a meal that he says, I have been waiting to share this meal, waiting to have this meal with you for a long time. To tell you what God has been up to, to tell you what I'm going to do next that will make clear God's love and who you are to me. And as Jesus prepares this meal and he begins to take a loaf of bread, he, he breaks it. And it's just this one loaf because he wants you to know that there's a oneness in your relationship with God and with others. And he breaks this open. He says, this is my body broken for you. And he, he takes that and they begin to eat that bread and begin to think about what it means to be one. And then Jesus takes this cup, one cup. And he says, in this cup, this, this wine, this is the new covenant this represents my blood, which we poured out for the forgiveness of sins, meaning the thing that has separated you, that is broken relationship with, with God and with others, this thing is going to be remedied, that my blood is going to cover a multitude of sins, and what's left for you on the other side of this is grace, thankfulness, gratitude. And as this meal gets prepared for you, I want you to picture those that were closest to Jesus receiving it, reclining on Jesus, resting in him, that what Jesus was about to do was about to change our relationship with God and with one another forever. God has deep friendships in mind for you. God doesn't want you to be isolated, separated, God saw from the very beginning that it wasn't good for you to be alone. And so God began to position a family of brothers and sisters and friends to begin to speak into one another's life, to begin to refresh one another's soul as the disciples refreshed Jesus and Jesus spoke into their lives that you and I might experience community at a whole deeper level what we were meant for all because of what Jesus has done here. So this morning, as we begin to make a move towards the tables and begin to remember Christ's sacrifice for us, this morning, I ask you to put that in the context of friendship. That what Jesus did for you was because he was your friend, the greatest of friends, that he laid down his life for you no greater expression would communicate that. And so, Lord, as we begin to think about your love for us and sacrifice for us, God, turn this time into a time of reflection and worship. May we find ourselves grateful again for the friendship that's been extended to us, that we could be actually friends of God. And maybe even turn our mind to those people who have been deep, um, deep friends 
who's spoken into our soul and our life and maybe who we can do that for as you begin to create a community, God, that is walking out Christ's ongoing friendship with one another. Lord, we give you this time. In Christ's name.